0: So corporate layoffs are rising while the US economy is slowing down. Have you thought about what you would do if you're affected by downsizing? Hi, my name is Michael Blanc, and I want to help you become financially free through real estate so you'll never have to worry about getting laid off. According to a recent Money Watch report, it's on Google to search for layoffs rising as the US economy slows. Layoffs spiked in September and increased 46% from the previous month. This is obviously not good news, and it's an indication to me that inflation is taking its toll because retailers specifically like Walmart and Amazon downgraded their earnings report because people are earning less. I think it's just going to cascade through the economy. And if you don't control your financial destiny and you rely on a job right now, you could be in big trouble. So be proactive. Good news is there's a solution, which is passive income by investing in real estate, specifically apartment buildings. And the even better news is that you don't need previous real estate investing experience at all or a bunch of cash to get started. So if you want help with Getting started with apartment buildings, if that's something that you might be interested in, so you can get out of the rat race forever. Text the word APARTMENTS to 66866. That's APARTMENTS to 66866. And I'll connect you to one of our advisors. And let's see how we can help you begin your journey to financial freedom with real estate well hey there deal makers welcome to the show i'm super excited that you're here to learn about financial freedom with real estate to start the show what i'd like to do is just give it a shout out to one of our reviewers on itunes because i love reading these reviews and one of them was nico five five six four here's what he wrote he says michael literally asks all the questions i'm thinking he has an intense focus on getting the listeners the most value out of each interview i really appreciate that nico uh and if you have any feedback for us good or bad we really read those reviews and uh, and short corporate into the show as well i also do want to do a, a shout out to one of our mentoring students ben wilson who closed his first deal and his mentor is brad Tasha. brad's been with us for since the beginning of, of time and ben did his first uh deal 57 units that he did and he started with us in august 2020 and he's waiting on responses from two lois so it's a shout out to to ben and congratulations on doing your first deal that really lights me up when people people do their first deal because I know Ben is now a year or so away from quitting his job because of the law of the first deal. And I'm really excited about that. Today's guest is going to be Cody Davis, who's a super young guy 20, 21 years old dropped out of college to pursue real estate. And he's essentially financially free at age 21. It's insane. Now before we have Cody on the show though, I wanted to bring dream Drew Niffen on the on the podcast here. He's the president of Nighthawk Equity because I wanted to get his opinion on these giant COVID, this $1.9 million uh, trillion dollar of COVID stimulus bill, because there's some provisions in there for renters and some rent subsidies. So I want Drew on the, on the show here to give us a briefing on that. And tell us a little bit about this, this COVID subsidy, this rental subsidy that was just passed releasing it from the House of Representatives.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Michael. So it's complicated. There's a lot of things moving, but really it's a play in three acts. So in March of 2020, when COVID first went down, we got the $1.9 trillion stimulus act. Uh, and then in December, right after the election, we got a $900 billion stimulus. And right now in the House of Representatives, we've already passed another $1.9 trillion stimulus. So it's those three things.
0: Right. Okay. But that's a lot, right? That's like, what is that? $5 trillion in one year?
1: I <laughs> think that's exactly right. And uh, I remember the quote from Senator Dirksen who said, you know, a billion here, a billion there, and pretty soon you're talking about real money. And right now it's not a billion and a billion, it's a trillion here, it's a trillion there. It's a phenomenal amount of money.
0: All right, so how is this helping our tenants?
1: Well, of the two bills that have become law, only the December, 2021 had direct rent support. In that one, there was 25 billion to support tenants who owe their landlords money, that helps us. But of course, it takes a long time for that money to move through the system effectively. And only in the past week, that is three months after it was passed and made into law, is that money finally getting pushed into tenants' hands. Okay, so how
0: do tenants get the money and then how much do they actually get?
1: Yeah, great question, Michael. And that's really where the rubber meets the road. Each state gets allocated money based upon their population size and how much rent money is in their state. And then it's up to those states to distribute the money and they have to follow certain federal guidelines. So for instance, the tenants can't make more than 80% of the average income in the area and they have to prove that they've been impacted in some way uh, by COVID. And if that's the case, then they can get up to three months of rent paid for by this $25 billion in rent stimulus.
0: Okay, so it's $25 billion in rent stimulus, which is a lot of money. But is that going to be enough to address the backlog of of unpaid rents?
1: Yeah, Michael, no one knows for sure. But some of the reports that I've read say that no, it's not enough. And that's why we're seeing that in this most recent bill that's in, in Congress right now, there's another $20 billion in rental assistance coming from Congress. And there's some good data out there that says that the number of tenants in America who are delinquent or past due on their rent is 17% of all tenants. And that's a tripling from where we were about a year ago.
0: Okay. So we're not seeing that in our portfolio, but what are we seeing in our portfolio and and why? Maybe are we seeing something different than maybe the national average?
1: Sure. Yeah. No, we're not seeing that 3x delinquency. We are seeing some delinquency growth just like every other landlord in America during recession, but it's not 3x. And I think the reason why is because we're doing a better average than most at maintaining the line and good discipline on tenant screening. So we have baseline metrics that we follow and we don't compromise on those even when it's tempting to do so.
0: So Drew, how challenging is it to get at this money?
1: Yeah, Michael, it's, it's very challenging. This is the federal bureaucracy we're working <laughs> with. So right. of course, it is complicated. It's a 19 page application per, not per property, but per tenant that you need to do it on. Second of all, you need to get the tenants to sign the paperwork. And you would think that's easy, but it's actually surprisingly hard to get the tenants to sign up for free money. Now at Nighthawk, we have our property managers or we have had them filling up all of the information that we can on behalf of the tenants so that it's as easy as possible to complete the application but it's still a ton of work. And we've been diligently following this legislation and how it works on a state by state basis because every state is different on when they release the money ever since it was passed. Every week we talk to our property managers And get an update on what's happening when the money becomes available and how much our tenants might qualify for
0: well uh this is i mean it sounds like the environment is pretty tough and we're doing okay in this environment Uh, but what is the, the the key takeaway for both active investors as well as passive investors
1: yeah the bottom line is that it takes tenacity and attention to detail to win in this business it takes focus things are constantly changing and if you're not staying on top of things Whether it's how lenders are lending or how you get stimulus money, you're going to lose out. So either make sure that you have the time and energy and desire to stay on top of the business or invest passively with someone who is doing that.
0: So, Drew, that's a great, uh, great point about uh, about letting the professionals take care of this kind of stuff, because we are the professionals. So if you like the idea of maybe investing with someone who will take care of all these things for you, we'd love to have a conversation with you at Nighthawk Equity. You can go to uh, the nighthawkequity.com and click the join button. We have a conversation with you if you're interested in possibly investing in an upcoming syndication deal as well. So, Drew, thanks
1: so much for being here. No problem, Michael. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, with that, let's get an interview with Cody Davis, young 21-year-old, without any kind of real estate experience whatsoever, no rich uncle, and magically, by the time he's 21, he's financially independent. Let's understand and get more into a story about how he did that. You're listening to the Apartment
2: Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now,
0: your host, Michael Blanc. Hey, Cody, welcome to the show today.
2: Hey, how's it going? Uh, It's going well. So tell us a little bit about, about yourself. I'm a local real estate agent in Tacoma, Washington, just a little bit south of Seattle. I graduated high school about three years ago in 2018. And as of right now, I've got 24 apartment units.
0: Okay, that's crazy. So you're how old now?
2: I just turned 21 back in December.
0: All right. So you're super... So do you have a, a background in real estate? Do uh, people around you, uh, are they in real estate or or did you kind of... I mean, where'd you start from?
2: I started with no background in real estate. It came down to reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Family friend gave it to me, but uh, yeah. my parents aren't in real estate. They almost encouraged me out of it. They wanted me to go the college route and I decided that wasn't for me. So I jumped into real estate and met a couple of great mentors along the way, but uh, I'm the first person in my family to try and make this happen. That's pretty cool. So
0: you must have a rich uncle then to help you with uh, getting started.
2: I wish. <laughs> that would have been nice.
0: But, no uh, rich uncle. So you have no one around you with real estate. You have no rich uncle to finance said real estate, except for, of course, you read the, the little purple book, which, um, which a lot of us have. And so, okay, so let me understand. it. So you read this book. Gosh, I don't know when I was what I was doing 18, but I I uh, definitely was not reading Rich Dad books. Well first of all, why were you reading the book? And and then and then why did you think it was a good idea to get to actually do anything that was in that book?
2: Well, I was given the book quite a few years before I turned 18, and I didn't like to read. So I played <laughs> the cash flow board game. Oh, did you? I, yeah. And yeah. then I got super excited about real estate and realized I was 1415 like and I didn't know how to buy anything at 14, 15. So I pushed it aside, went through school. And towards the end of high school, I picked the book back up. I had a, a teacher, he was a lawyer. He was graduating that year, and he liked to plan everything out. And he said, on one of the last days of class, I don't remember what the day was, but uh, he said, We're going to talk about how to make money when you sleep. And I didn't know what he talked about. And then he brought up real estate. And I picked up the book again because it was sitting at home, read through it and made a post on an online Facebook group and off it went.
0: Yeah, so I'm having some of my kids uh, read Rich Dad for the first time as my, my 12-year-old and, uh, and I'm having some of the kids reread it as well. It's just so, so powerful. I know when I read it, 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 just, it, was like it was like, I don't know, like I had some kind of epiphany. Like I didn't even idea that you have passive income while you're sleeping. Like that never occurred to me. The other book that was in a similar way with a four hour work week. Have you read that book? I have not. Yeah. It's, it's similar, right? It, 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 Tim Ferriss postulates that you can literally make a living by working four hours a week. And you're like, what, how is this even possible? And it's like books like that, that just, it just, it's crazy when you, when you, when you read them. And I think it's great that you read it. You had someone who gave you the book that doesn't, I mean, most people, like you said, don't like to read, especially for fun because you're made, you know, you have to read in school. So why the heck would I do it for fun? Like, it makes no sense. So somehow you picked up this book. Now, uh, and what appealed to you about this book? Like, why did you feel like you needed to, you needed to take some action?
2: The guy who gave it to me said, if I wanted to be rich, I should read the book. And so that kind of, it's like, okay, sounds like a good plan.
0: Okay. And you wanted to be rich?
2: It wasn't for the money. I'm a car guy. I love cars. And I've worked on a couple cars in my past. And I realized that since I didn't like college, I probably wasn't like I had the odds stacked against me to getting a high paying job that was going to afford that hobby. And so Uh I was like, okay, you know, if other people pay for it, I don't need the money. I can just go get apartments and they'll buy the cars. And It's kind of where it started. All
0: right. So, so, so you said real estate was for you. What did you do next then to get started with real estate?
2: I got licensed as a real estate agent just after I turned 19. It was like January 15th, 2019, a a few weeks after I had, uh, after my birthday. And I proceeded to be an agent. And I didn't sell anything for six months because I realized, oh, my sphere doesn't have a lot of money. And like I love multifamily. That's my space. And so I don't see a lot of uh, people with money looking towards a 19 year old fresh out of college who dropped out of college saying, I want to go invest money with you. <laughs> and uh, I had a buddy of mine, I, I was a gymnastics coach for four years. One of the fellow coaches reached out at like 10 o'clock at night and said, Hey, can you help us buy a duplex in Bremerton? And I said, Yes, I can. And Bremerton's about an hour away, but It was a deal. And we closed that about 30, 45 days later. Kind of started to snowball after that.
0: And that was for someone else. That wasn't for yourself. That was for someone else, right? Right. All right. So a couple things we skipped here. First of all, it sounds like you started going to college and then you stopped going to college. Why did you stop going out of college? And uh, what do your parents think about this?
2: They're a lot happier now than they were then. But, uh, I went to college to pursue business. I got accepted into UPS at University of Puget Sound here, which is kind of expensive. They offered me a ton of grants. It was like 40000 45000 a year to go there for academics and for music. And well, it costs 60000 65000 a year. So it's not really that much of a, a discount. I mean, it still costs twenty-five to go. And as a broke college kid just out of high school, I don't really want to take on that debt. I've been told that college debt was bad. So I went to a community college and the teacher gave me a C minus on a paper because I alluded to real estate. It was my career. I alluded to it. I was a real estate agent at the time. And out of that, I went in front of the class and I asked the class what they thought of the line and no one said real estate. So she gave me an A. And at that point I was like, this is too easily manipulated. I don't wanna be here. This isn't what's gonna make me money. And I told my parents and then I left. It was a three-part conversation. The first time I brought it up, they said, no, you're finishing. Then I waited a couple of weeks. I brought it up, said, finish the quarter. The third time I brought it up, said, look, this really isn't for me. I said, we'll honor that. But you need to finish the quarter. Then you can be done. And that's how it went.
0: (laughs) And so your parents somehow accepted uh, over this. And why do you think they accepted it?
2: Because I was pushing so hard for it. I'm super passionate about it. And I was putting everything in place doing everything I could. Like I was spending all my time on real estate. It was studying, it was being in the office, pursuing knowledge. And I was just devoting myself 100% into it. I read a book, uh, Be Obsessed or Be Average by Grant Cardone. And that's kind of how I see myself in the beginning. And still today, It's it's all in.
0: Yeah, so that's really interesting. I mean, what did your friends think about this, right? Because, I mean, what people around you were going to college, I assume. I mean, even to this day, this is this is still going on. What, what were your friends saying to you?
2: Well, my friends are still out drinking and partying and doing all the college activities, and they said that's cool. And then I, I said I bought my first deal. And I said, isn't that risky? And I was like, well, I got a million one in debt on my first deal. And they said, that's crazy. And I was like, well, I guess so. But uh, someone's paying that off for me, so I'm, I'm okay.
0: But Cody, there's so, much, there's so much pressure for young people to go to college. And it's, it's really steeped in tradition that if you don't have a degree, you're never going to cut it in this world. What is your view on
2: that? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of ways to make money. And I don't need to have a lot of money, like income personally, if other people pay for everything I need. So if I have a bunch of tenants paying me money, I don't need a degree to go get a lot of earned income. I can just go get passive income by using my brain to try and think things through. And if I can borrow money at 8% on a deal that pays me 32, which is pretty similar to how I structured my first deal, then, then it makes sense because I've got enough money to cash them out in the foreseeable future.
0: I remember when i when i was your age cody i mean the peer pressure is pretty big right i mean you kind of just want to fit in and why did you not feel that how did you deal with that peer pressure to try to fit in because you're clearly not fitting in at all i mean neither with young kids nor, frankly with adults really to many adults but how did you deal with that i mean why did you why did you still stay the course on on real estate despite all that
2: well there's a lot of peer pressure and everything i'm the type of guy like i I just devote myself to things and I don't get distracted easily. Like I've got a lot of friends who do like the excessive drinking and excessive drugs. And I look at it and I've been offered that stuff so many times. And I just look up to people who have taken the path before. One of the people I looked up to, I brought him up, Grant Cardone and I say, okay, well, he was a drug addict and he says, don't do it. It's a waste of time. You're going to get distracted. It's going to take you off course. And so I just, I keep that in the back of my mind whenever I get offered distractions. I'm like, okay, well, if he has a couple billion in real estate, it's probably worth listening to. So I just keep advice in the back of my mind 24 seven. And I try and help that guide me because I'm going to make mistakes. There's going to be moments where I give in, but I want to try and minimize that. So I just keep all that advice in the back of my head to try and think things through. And I don't make instantaneous decisions on life-changing events.
0: Who helps you get started with real estate?
2: Robert Slattery. He's the uh, owner of the building I'm in. This is uh, the Blackwell Mansion, downtown Tacoma, 1890s, 6,000 square foot mansion. And uh, he helped me get started. He played the equity growth game between 2002 and 2008. And as you can imagine, a lot of people who play the equity game lost a lot. So he lost three and a half million in real estate of which a million was equity and got washed out for a few years. He ended up getting back into the game. His whole portfolio today is seller financed. He's got about 6.8 million in seller financed real estate and like 2.8 in equity. And so he showed me how to play that game because I don't have tax returns. Now I finally have 2 years of tax returns. I'm stuck about that. I'm working with banks. But I didn't have any of that in my first year. And he showed me how to buy with seller financing. And that's what I did.
0: All right. So he he kind of shows you your path in real estate, but you decided to get your real estate license. Why did you do that?
2: Because uh, Robert just direct messaged me on Facebook after a post I made and saying, I'm working on getting another couple of jobs, working at Target, working at Safeway. And he said, "If you want to make some more money with a little bit less brain damage, come check us out." And that's what I did.
0: Okay, that's very interesting. Why is he taking an interest in you, Cody? Do you think
2: might have been just because I was eighteen and I was trying? Hmm. Robert has the heart of a mentor. Like he tries to genuinely help people, hmm. and so that he just took a leap of faith on me. And when I didn't sell any deals for six months, he was like, "Well, okay." So we went down and went down to the local restaurant shenanigans and spoke about it and then i closed the deal 30 days 45 days later because it's like this is the best opportunity that i've got i need to figure it out
0: so yeah you said you didn't close a deal for six months which as a real estate agent obviously is is not good but when he evaluated you he obviously didn't give up on you why did he think that you were on track even though you may have thought maybe you weren't
2: well i asked him why he kept me around and he said i was waiting for you to wash up Cause it's a hard business. Um, but I was there every day and he saw that in me, which is why he let me stay. And we've grown pretty close together as far as like a like a coworker bond. Like if he needs to raise money, I'll help raise money. If I have a deal, like we'll we'll look it over together. So it's it's just a commitment. Like I'm not gonna leave. I'm a hundred percent all in here. And I think that's what he saw from the beginning.
0: One could argue that maybe you got a little bit lucky by, by meeting Robert or the other way around. I have a sneaking suspicion though, that that would have not, it wouldn't have stopped you had you not met Robert or, or the other way around. How, what would you have done if Robert hadn't come along?
2: Yeah, I'm very fortunate. I, I say that every single day. My goal was to buy a duplex at age 21 and I built out a goal to do that. And now I'm a little bit ahead of that goal today, but, uh, I would have just worked towards that i would have worked multiple jobs try to get stability owner occupied a duplex which prices mm-hmm. have gone up a lot in the Puget sound but purchased a duplex for four to five hundred thousand and lived there for a little bit done it again the following year and tried to build up some equity and move up
0: yeah so many people have done the, the house hacking thing i mean it's such a great way to get into these deals and these duplexes and there's fantastic FHA loans that you can get with like 3% down. You might need someone to, to sign on the loan. What was your plan for potentially having someone sign on a loan or getting that loan?
2: I was just going to try and build a plan to get enough money, enough income to qualify myself. I didn't have enough knowledge back then to know what I needed to know to actually do that. But I thought I did. <laughs> so I was just trying to build out a plan and uh, work towards it over the long term.
0: Well, you just said something. You didn't really have a a well-thought-out plan. And I think that stops a lot of people. I mean, how are you able to move forward with not 100% clarity? Like, what makes you comfortable in doing that?
2: An example, my first deal, it was a 12-plex. I didn't have 100% clarity. I didn't realize I owned it until three months after I closed on it. It was weird. It just mentally didn't click. But I knew it was the right thing to do long-term. And... I don't need to know all the information as long as I know over the long term, it makes sense and it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And if it's not going to be okay, then I lose the deal to the investor. He gets a great deal. And then I I quote that as a win for him. I found him an awesome deal. (laughs) However, I can spin it, but I just focus on, okay, if I can make enough small wins over the long term, I don't need to know everything today.
0: Now, you got started with, your, with, with brokering, obviously, and I'm sure Robert brought you on there to generate commissions for, you know, for yourself, but also for the company as well. A lot of times, uh, one could argue that getting your broker's license is a distraction from actually keeping you away from investing in properties uh, itself. How did you reconcile that, that you were brokering deals for other people and investing at the same time? How did you reconcile those two?
2: Well, I've never had a lot of money. I, I keep cash poor. I've learned that from multiple mentors, don't keep cash around, except for reserves. And because of that, and the fact that I didn't qualify with banks, a lot of deals were off market to me. I mean, they just, they weren't on the table because yes, there's always a way to do a deal, but there's no reason to pinch or squeeze a deal out just to do it. I believe if it's going to work, there's got to be some margin there and a lot of these deals I was finding on market, off market were amazing deals, but I didn't qualify for the debts that I needed to make it make sense. So I would share those deals with clients and sell them. There was an off market 15 unit locally here. I found it for uh, about a million three. It was a little bit less than that, but uh, it's 14 and percent cash on cash. Hmm. So it's close to the water. Great rental market like we have wait lists for those properties because they're, it's beautiful. But uh, like those are the type of deals. I didn't qualify for that type of debt and I didn't qualify with the banks and I didn't have all the tools I needed to, to buy it. And mm-hmm. I know you're with the syndication model and there's a lot I need to learn on that too. <laughs> so.
0: Well, let's go back to the debt. I mean, syndication is one thing, because that addresses the equity side. But let's talk about the debt side. Knowing what you know now, what could, what could you have done differently to take down that 15 unit deal yourself?
2: Well, I didn't have the net worth to bring it down and it wasn't quite big enough to, to where we were getting a million dollar loan. So knowing what I know now, if I were to buy it, I just need to bring in a partner who had the capital and I'd probably spin it off as I'll take care of the management. I'll take care of the uh, what is the actual play on it Because it's worth about a million nine once it's stabilized. <laughs> and so there's a $600,000 upside when you're investing three and you get back six, it's three X cause you walk away with 900,000. And so I would probably offer it as an 80, 20, they get 80% Mm -hmm. of the deal. I handle all the headaches and I get 20%. And there was probably a way to do that, but I wasn't there at that time.
0: Well, you weren't there at the time, but the point is you were still in the in the in the game, and and now you learned that thing as well. Uh, you you kind of, in my mind, did the hard part, which was finding the deal itself. How did you go about finding? I mean, these off market deals because you were looking for your own deal, but then really uh, because you felt you didn't qualify, you were you were trying to bring in other buyers. So, how did you find both the deal and the buyer?
2: Sure. So the way that I find the bulk of my deals is with cold calls, but I don't try and attack it the same way what I've seen most people do like that deal. I call them up, say, Hey, I love your property. I'd love to buy it. And I'd like to get you an offer. And that's how that pursued. But the bulk of my off-market deals are I'm calling up property owners and say, Hey, I'm new to the business. I've got 24 apartments. I'm 21 years old and I'd love to buy you coffee. I'd love to buy you lunch to learn from you. Not attack it from a sales perspective, but, but, Um, I I want to inquire on what you did because I respect what you did. And I want to be like you sometime in the future. And that conversation starter gets me in the door. I get to go meet with them and they introduced me to their peer group. And I I did that. uh, I'm invested heavily in central Washington. That's where hundred percent of my properties are. And I did that with the guy over there. He, his buddy just made $4 million in January. They bought a plot of land, now, this is a separate deal, but they bought a plot of land for like 2.3. They chopped half of it off and sold the bad half uh, further away from the water for like 4.1 cash. And then in addition to that, they made $4 million in the stock market in January. Like, so I, I'm attacking from, I want to learn what they're doing and they're introducing me to their friends and their friends' friends. And that kind of trickles out. Now they all know there's a young hustler who wants to get in and I didn't try and sell them something from day one. I tried to learn from them and they want to help me get to their position.
0: Cody, that's, that's brilliant. You're almost like leveraging your, your youngness yes, uh, to, as an advantage to get in the door. <laughs> I, I, did you think that, think that yourself or did me, Robert, uh, you know, advise you to try that?
2: There's a a guy I met on Facebook a while ago. Uh, same as Brenton, but, uh, he reached out and said, stop trying to pitch people on deals, try and learn from them, call them up, grab coffee. And I took that to heart. That was probably eight, nine months ago. And that's worked really, really well. It's super smart. So I can't claim it as my own, but I'm using it. And it's just kind of taking the approach of, I need help because I want to aspire to be like you. And what I've noticed is when I say that to folks and it's genuine um, I want to get to where people are at, but they see themselves in, in me. And because of that, they want to be the person they didn't have.
0: I, I love that, man. That's, that's, that's fantastic. And in the, in the it's, I'm convinced that had you not come to Robert, if you just did what you said you did, you would have eventually found another mentor because of simply doing that and reaching out to people. I, and I love that. Uh, how did you overcome the fear of cold calling someone? Because most people are scared Deathless of like, you know. Aside from public speaking, picking up a phone and trying to cold call someone, yeah. How did you overcome that fear to do that?
2: I just thought about what are my worst case scenarios, and I experienced all of the worst case scenarios. Okay, I tried to predict what would happen before it happened. Number one, they're going to hang up. I don't have to talk to them anyway. Okay, that's great. I'll call them back later. Another one, they're super rude. They cuss me out. They call me out on, on anything and. I've had a lot of those too, and Mm -hmm. I've had other people that said, I'm not interested, but they don't hang up. And it's like, well, if you're not interested, why don't you hang up? (laughs) And so I just think, okay, what's the worst case scenario? And then it's repetition. It's practicing Mm -hmm. because if I know what's going to happen, there's nothing to anticipate. There's nothing to be fearful of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love the downside thing, uh, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Because sometimes we don't really think about it and it just seems bigger than it really actually is versus like, okay, what can actually happen? Like realistically, not like, oh my gosh, you know, the sky could actually fall, but what could realistically happen? And if that were to happen, well, what would be the impact of that? And if you ever think about it logically, the impact is really like... Not that bad. In fact, you're no worse off than you are now, you know, and I think that exercise is a, is a good one. So talk about, uh, talk about your first deal now. So you're building relationships, you're getting off market deals and you come across, I think there's 12 unit or so tell us about that deal. How did it come about and how'd you put it together?
2: My first deal was a 12 plex. It was on the market. And that actually there's a little backstory to that. There was a 22 unit off market seller finance deal. We had written up for a client. And that was over in central Washington. That deal fell apart on the buyer's end. And so Robert said, Why don't you go buy this? I'll raise the money for you. It's already seller financed. It was 300 grand down. It was going to cash flow 5,000 a month. And I was thinking, okay, at 19, 5,000 a month net is pretty awesome. And then the seller said, No, I'm not going to grant you the one week extension because the previous buyer had done all the extensions. So that deal fell apart and I was crushed instantly. 5,000 a month, 60,000 a year income, which after the depreciation was gonna be tax-free for the most part, that just went away. And so I looked in that specific market, which was central Washington. and I found a deal that was on the market, listed with seller financing, called them up, said, hey, just had a deal fall apart. I'm a buyer in your market, love the property. Can we meet tomorrow? And we went through that process. I had the deal under contract the following day. And I basically said, I need to do seller financing. What do you want on the terms? I'm running up the contract right now. And I just went down their list. And when it came time to renegotiate, they wanted 20% down. I got it to 15% down. We got through inspection and we renegotiated and I was waving the white flags and I am not fighting you here. I've given you everything you wanted. I need to do 10% down for this to make sense for me. And so I just raised the 10%. I got seller financing for 90% 30 year AM with no balloon and closed the deal like 45 days later. So but you didn't it, have to I raise any money at all. I had to raise the 10%. I didn't have that. How'd you do that? I begged and pleaded around the office cause I didn't know any rich people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> begged and pleaded around the office and, and did you give them equity or was it a loan to them or how did you induce them to, how did you structure that?
2: It was a loan. So I, uh-huh. I paid a 12% second, which was helpful. I actually partnered with Robert on that. I gave him some equity, not for the money piece, but he gave me the option. He was like, look, we've got the money here. We can either, you can do it yourself or you can have me on your team and I'll walk you through some of the mistakes that I went through and help you avoid some of the pitfalls. And so I did that, it was my first deal. And I was like, it's, it's not worth losing. If I mess up. So I'm gonna give up a little bit now to learn and just be a part of a deal. And so I'm a fifty fifty on that.
0: Yeah, that's uh that that's awesome that you that you pulled out. Yeah, you you mentioned something that the deal fell apart. There was another deal. Was it the same deal that you said fell apart before that twelve unit?
2: There was a twenty-two unit property, seller financeable, that yeah. fell apart. And that that was the one that was gonna net me five thousand a month in yeah. free and clear cash flow. And that one tanked. Yeah, it was a super undervalued deal. I mean, it was for I think one point four million dollars. And since then, I've picked up parts of that portfolio. I picked up about twenty of the twenty-two units, and I sold the four four of those units to a client. But uh, that deal is. When that fell apart it completely crushed my spirits and that's what led me to find the 12 plex that was in that market
0: well why didn't that crush you completely i mean i know at least a couple people personally who basically got a deal on a contract which is an amazing feat in itself and then it didn't work out for various different reasons and it it so completely traumatized them Uh, they were so emotionally attached to that deal that when they had to walk away from it they literally walked away from the entire business because it was so traumatizing so emotional how did you feel when that deal went went south? I mean, were you, how, how crushed were you, and for how long?
2: Oh, it was awful. And I told Robert, "I'm never going to find another deal like this." Yeah, I want to say it was like two hours later I found the twelve plex.
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> two hours later. All right. So, all right, you got you had to pick me up. But it, it is crushing to get into a deal like that and then not get it. I don't blame people who decide to quit afterwards. I think it's terribly short-sighted because it is such a major feat to get a deal under contract like that or even find a deal like that that typically if you've done it once you can do it again man so I'm, I'm glad you went you went through that plus the other thing also i gotta say is that you had a mentor to walk you off the ledge a little bit because had you not had a mentor you would have said man this is for the birds it's way too hard it took me way too long to get this one and then i got it and now it's gone like you know you could have just quit and i don't know flipped houses or something
2: <laughs> yeah yeah, I'm not a flipper, but uh, I'm, I'm glad I pursued the track because it goes back to that idea that I know it's the right thing to do over the long term. So I'm just going to stick with it.
0: All right. Another question is, you know, why in the world is, did the seller take you seriously? And it, it's not only the only seller, but really, why does this guy even take you seriously? It's a, you know, over a million dollars acquisition. You're at this point, 20, whatever, 21 years old. Why would this guy even entertain selling it to you? Not only that, not only selling it to you, but then financing it also.
2: I had it under contract before I met the guy. I sold him over the phone.
0: And you, didn't mention your, you did not mention your age or anything like that?
2: No, that's irrelevant.
0: Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. It's irrelevant. Now, you must have also used certain kind of words or uh, had a certain kind of confidence where this guy didn't suspect that you were young or a newbie or anything like that. So why do you think he took you seriously then?
2: It was all kind of a facade. I just, I put myself off as someone that I wasn't. I just had a 22 unit deal fall apart for a million four. I saw this deal was on the market. I'll write you up an offer right now. And I said, okay. (laughs) And I gave them everything they wanted. I kind of waved the white flag as Cardone would say and I gave them exactly what they wanted. How do you want this written up? And got it signed. Another benefit, like this was a very unique situation. The guy who owned it bought it when he was like 22, 21 or 22. So he resonated with me. He didn't know I was 19. He thought I was in my 20s, but he saw that in him or in me. So he was like, oh, well, this isn't any different than what I did. And I consider myself very fortunate to find those deals. But people say that, well, that's a one-off. But if I found, I'm closing on my third one on the 10th of this month. So the deals are out there if you're in the right rooms.
0: Yeah, that's no, true. So, so you close that first one and, um, talk about your second one. How did that come about? And and how, you know, how much after the first one?
2: So the second one was, I want to say nine months after it was in July of 2020, picked up another 12 plaques, soft market. Everybody that I talked to said I was overpaying for the deal. I was overpaying for the deal. But it was $680,000. Mm-hmm. And they thought it was overpaying because they didn't know the market. And I actually got an offer recently on it that I turned down for 940.
0: <laughs> nice.
2: It was like six months after I bought it. So I saw a vision in a property that was an ugly duckling. It wasn't even close to the same quality as my first place. But I, I saw that I could put some value into it over time. And that's what I'm doing. And I'm working on actually refinancing that. I'm, I've never done the Burr model, but this one will just about be the Burr model.
0: <laughs> I love it. Now, did you... How did you finance that one? Is that seller financed as well? Did you have to raise some money for it?
2: Yeah. So that was seller financed $120,000 down. The seller carried $560,000 at 6% for oh, 30 AM for 10 years. So it wasn't quite the same unicorn deal as the first one with no balloons, but... It's okay. It was it was a deal I could buy that cash flowed a couple thousand a month from day one. I was just thinking to myself, what more could I ask for?
0: <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry, how did you get the equity then? Was that the same thing you went to the around in the office and you did the same thing you did before, or was that done a little differently this time?
2: That was just a promissory note to a client of someone else in the office and they made a couple of points and paying them twelve percent. So it's it's similar. I'm working on mm-hmm. the refinance process now. Cause it's, it's conservatively worth 900,000. I know I got an offer for more than that, but if I were to refi 75%, I've got a couple of lenders looking at it. I get a loan for 675 and I bought it for 680. So it's not too bad. <laughs>
0: I mean, typically, it's difficult to essentially what you're doing is you're doing 100% financing, you have the seller financing, which is kind of first position, and you have someone else basically loans you the money, like almost like a hard money loan. Yep. Uh, and typically, if you do traditional financing, the original primary lender will not allow a second in the way you're doing it. Now, the seller, of course, obviously, is allowing it. The second thing is, is will it cash flow because you're now basically doing 100% financing. So you got to make sure it cash flows enough. And it sounds like both of these properties did that.
2: Yeah, both of them cash flow four figures a month, post mm-hmm. debt services, post all property expenses. And uh, I am saving a little bit on property management because I'm doing a lot of the work myself. And mm-hmm. in the beginning, it's like, I'm, I'm fine doing that. But post refinance, I'll have enough money to where I don't really need to worry about it. And I push it full time into black hole management and I don't have to worry yeah. about it, that's the goal.
0: Are you doing any kind of value add on these things? Like any kind of renovations at all? Or are you just literally just buying them as is and just running them?
2: I'm buying them as is. They're fully leased up. The the rents were a little low. So I walked in and when a tenant would move out, I raised rent from... like There was people there for years. They would move out on their own. They'd be paying $750. I re-rented it within a week for $950. And when you do that over enough units, it starts to add value. And so that's what I did. And so I got my first place for a million one, a hundred thousand down. And I got the value up to about a million four. So I made 300% on the bonding I borrowed, working up on that to bank debt. And the second deal I got for 680, put 120 grand down, got the value up above 900,000. And so I made another 300% there. And but it's just by raising rents. I've remodeled a couple of units on the second deal, but the first one was turnkey. And the second one, it just needs a little bit more attention because it's, it's been neglected for a while.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if I'm paying attention here and people are listening to this, you don't really have any of your own money in any of these deals whatsoever. And even though you're not syndicating them, in my mind, you're syndicating debt. <clears throat> and I guess the same thing to me. You know, the paperwork is going to be different, but really that's what you're doing. You're syndicating the whole thing with debt, 100% financing from the seller and then from other private individuals, which is a very creative way to get get into this game. Well, let me ask you one other thing. So it took you nine months to do that second deal. How did that first deal affect you and your ability to do more deals? Like what difference did it make in your career?
2: It just made it real to me that debt's just like, it's just a number. Like I thought to myself, I've next, well, this month I'll have $2.2 million worth of debt. And I just, I think about it. And I'm like, where is it? I don't see it. So it's it's well covered, like it's well covered by the the net income. And that first deal also gave me credibility to investors. They're like, oh, this isn't just some 19-year-old. This guy is putting his money where his mouth is. And mm-hmm. they didn't realize it wasn't my money, but I'm putting someone else's money where my mouth is because I I believe it's worth doing. And I started getting more deals done uh, with investors. It's been easier to raise money. And I'm working on Raising another $200,000 right now, which would put me close to a million dollars raised. So I'm trying to hit that mark. I'm really close.
0: I love it. Are, are you raising this as uh, equity money or debt money or maybe a combination of both?
2: Uh, equity. And it's not for me, it's just for other people in the office. People oh. have deals that pop up. Nice. I am just, I'm trying to get control of people's money, even if I don't make a bunch of. If I don't make points off of it, I am building the skill up. The skill is more important because it's repeatable. If I get cash, it's going to go away because I treat cash as trash. So I don't need the points right now, but I want to get control so that I can use that skill for the rest of my life, because eventually I will do bigger deals. And there will be times when I run out of money and I got to figure out, okay, what do I do next? Because I listen to your podcast, with bigger pockets and entrepreneurs make something out of nothing and so that's, that's trying i'm trying to build that skill to get to that point
0: yeah, i love that and the other thing you're doing by the way is you're working for free that's crazy yep yeah. I love that. And I think what struck me about the rich dad, poor dad is already, you know, Robert started working for free for, for rich dad and he got all kinds of flack from the, from the other dad. And I love that because working for free is where you get that experience. And the experience you're going to get from that is worth far more than any kind of anything you could make off that. So I love that as well. Uh, the other question uh, that I have is, you know, you're doing a lot of seller financing and it's kind of considered a creative financing technique, but why would someone, you know, want to sell or finance it? Like Why would they want to do that? What's in it for them?
2: They get a little bit of mad money up front and then it splits up their tax liability over a matter of years.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And they just get income without the headache of management. I've met a lot of folks who say, I love these properties. These are my retirement. So I wouldn't want to sell them. And I say, well, what if you just got payments? Mm -hmm. I took over the management And I pay you off over the next 30 years. And and they're at the point where they're not going to live 30 years. So I pay them off over a long period of time. And they're like, oh, I don't have to work. I get some mad money up front. I get income for life. That that sounds okay.
0: Yeah. That's great. I mean, a lot of people say, you know, uh, seller financing is dead. And obviously you're, you know, you're proof that it's not dead and uh and and you're right it's, it's a win-win for for both parties really as, as well now speaking of cash flow for the for the seller which is a great situation hey they have continued income they don't have a taxable event and they're kind of you know they're rid of the the headache you know at this point you know you being 20 21 years old you know how are you doing with the income from these properties because you said both are you know in the set one to two to three whatever thousand a, a month of generating. Profit, passive income. How are you with regards to covering your own personal living expenses from that? I mean, can you? Are you like financially independent at this point? You got still, still some some ways to go.
2: I mean, on my current lifestyle, I guess you could say I'm financially independent. But like, I live with family. I'm I'm skimping out on expenses because I can. And people say, well, you're about to have thirty apartments. Why are you living with family? It's like because. I'm a 21 year old, and I'm going to buy a house this year, but I'm not doing it yet because I'm trying to set myself up. And so, on my current lifestyle, yes, uh, net cash flow. I'm buying, I'm buying a sixplex zero down, seller financed this month, and I have a refinance. I found a lender who's willing to do cash out refi with no seasoning period, mm. which it's like okay, that's cool. And so, I'm trying to refinance. I'm setting that up on this sixplex that I'm closing on in eight days. And like that'll cash flow 1300 a month. Each of the 12 plexes is with the current debt, uh, first lean position is like 2,500 to 3000 a month. And so there, there's enough money to, to sustain my lifestyle. I, I'm projecting to be at like 4,500 to 5,000 a month net by the end of this year.
0: Yeah. And I love that. I mean, you're talking about three deals, you know, that are you don't have any money in these free deals and you're getting five, $6,000 a month. I just, it's staggering to me. And you know, so, so you're, you're this young guy. It doesn't have any kind of experience around you. Don't have people around you that had real estate experience and you don't have a rich uncle. Right? So what is your advice to people who feel like they don't really have a shot at this?
2: You got to stop saying you don't have a shot at this. Number one, but uh, yeah, study numbers, math doesn't lie you can get really good at numbers and showing how it's a win-win for everybody then it gets a lot easier to raise money like i I had a lot of help on my first deal i had less help on my second deal this third deal i'm doing completely on my own no help with raising capital and you have to really get good at numbers because you can portray that you can put it on a simple one pager that just shows people this is the opportunity and make it a no-lose situation for them an example, the Sixplex I'm picking up for 380000 here in Washington, it's worth about $500,000 when it's stabilized. I got a rent roll on a paper plate, so the banks don't really like that. And so I, I need to get stable books on it, but it's worth $500,000. So I show how it's valued at that based on a really conservative numbers. The investor is loaning me $90,000. I got two ninety dollars from the seller. And I just show them, okay, if I default on you, you're getting a $500,000 asset with no second lien position, meaning you owe 290, you're getting 500 for $90,000. They're more than doubling their money if I default on them. And if I don't default on them, they make 12% a year, which they're not doing in the market.
0: That's right. Yeah. I mean, so you say get good at the numbers. Uh, You know, some could argue that, hey, I'm not good at numbers. So I'm I don't have a shot at this.
2: Well, I would say flip the script and say, how could you get good at the numbers? Cause I didn't know how to use Excel. I just spent, like I, I was sick for two weeks straight last year. Uh, two years ago, it was before coded and it was Thanksgiving. And I was like, okay, well I don't get to see anybody. So I'm going to learn Excel this week. And I spent two weeks learning everything I needed to know about Excel. Why does the formula make it, come out with this answer? How does it actually work? And just practice. You don't need to know mental math per se, but you need to know why formulas make sense. And if you can explain that logically, someone else, which just takes a lot of practice, it's not going to happen tomorrow. Took me nine months to buy my first deal, another nine months to buy my second and another nine months after that, I bought my third. I never thought about that, but it takes time so don't expect that you're going to be there tomorrow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So so true, and you know, back to you know the Excel. There are so many free tutorials out there, uh, video tutorials that teach you everything you need to know about about spreadsheets and uh, and so it's easy to do and yet so powerful. Uh, cody, how can, how can people connect with you?
2: You can uh, email me at cody at blackwellre dot com or you can check out my Instagram, Cody D. 2020 and uh, happy to connect with you guys there
0: awesome it's been super inspiring to have you on the show cody as young as you are and you know no no experience no money and yet here you are financially free after 18 months of getting started so it's been awesome inspiration for for all of our listeners and watchers thanks so much for being on the show
2: thanks for having me
0: i just love these podcast interviews with young people because Oftentimes they don't have any experience. Actually, most of the case, and and don't have a sugar daddy to help them along. And this is the case with Cody, you know. And this is an just yet another proof that you don't have to have a bunch of experience. You don't have to have a rich uncle or your own cash to get it done. Right now, my question to you is really: Are you born as an entrepreneur? Like I recorded, uh, you know, Gina Wickman a little while on the on the podcast, you know, and he his theory is that some people are born to be entrepreneurs. And some people are simply not. Now, I disagreed with him on the show. You should take a look at it; it's quite, quite an interesting thing. And I think the, the the disconnect is that while I agree in the classic sense of an entrepreneur, where you're creating a company, you're marketing, you're scaling, you're hiring people, and you you have 20 employees, 30 employees, that does take a pretty unique person. But real estate simplifies. The small business formation of that, because so many systems are already built into it. For example, you have brokers finding deals, right? There's already a person that does that. There's people who will manage it for you. There's property managers, right? So you just have to be the the glue to bring everything together. And so I'm reflecting, well, gosh, did did Cody was he just born, you know, with a silver spoon in his mouth? He was just a born entrepreneur, and I'm not sure, you know. For example. You know, he did get a lot of clarity he developed because he said his friends were out drinking and 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 doing drugs, and he was clear he did not want that. And with that clarity, now that, that requires a lot of maturity, and certainly I wasn't that mature when I was, you know, when I was his age. So it requires a certain amount of a maturity to to start thinking about, hey, my gosh, what do I want in life? Like, what do I don't I want in life? So he he developed clarity, and with that clarity, typically always comes drive. So he had a lot of drive that kept him moving forward. Now, for example, so maybe there was some, some innate things that, uh, that he was just like that. But I, I know that just in working with, with some of my, my kids, for example, they're not innately something and it can be developed, right? So uh, clarity, developing a morning routine, uh, reflecting on things, right? That was going to be developed and some people are just more and some people are not. Like, for example, he was saying developing, being good with numbers. This is a great example because most, well, not, many people just say they're not good with numbers. You know, spreadsheets are awful. And he was an example where he just he just shut himself in a room and learned spreadsheets. You know, how powerful is that when you're not born with spreadsheets? Like I am, you know, I was literally born with a spreadsheet. I think I love, love spreadsheets. He was able to acquire that skill and therefore become a more well-rounded person. The other thing also is that, I mean, notice the importance of his mentor, Robert. I mean, that's unbelievably huge. And I asked him, well, what would we have done? He had not found that mentor. And clearly the way he was reaching out to uh, a more wise, experienced people, he would have gotten that mentor. Uh, anyway, one way or another, you would have gotten a mentor, but this is so important. Mentors are so important. If you can get someone like that, you reach out to people lean on those people. And sometimes finding an unpaid mentor is very difficult to do. And sometimes you don't really get the results from a person like that. So in that case, if you can afford it, hire a mentor to do what you've done. Now we have a great mentoring program, check us out the michaelblank.com forward slash mentor, you can set up a call with our chief strategist and see if mentoring is right for you. And you can work with a full time syndicator. If, if you're if you value mentorship, and you have to. Invest yourself in that way. But mentors along the way are so important. And you can get mentors, you know, just by listening to a podcast, by listening to this podcast, or reading a book. You can listen to very experienced people, help you along your way. And so we have more mentors out there than ever before. So hopefully you were inspired by that story. I mean, certainly I was, right? So was this young guy out of nothing, you know, and again, he just was creative with his, with his finance. He didn't even know you can bring a, a partner in to sign on the loan. My goodness gracious. He didn't really know that you could raise, like syndicate, like wasn't, he? and he still got it done. So hopefully you'll find that really inspiring, coming really from nothing to, you know, 18 months later, covering his living expenses. And I'm going to watch this. This guy's going to do some great things. So hopefully you were inspired that you learn a lot of things and I will catch you next time.
2: Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to
0: themichaelblanc.com. There you can also download the
2: free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.